Hello, my name is Barbara, and this is Neuroscience, Amateur Hour. Thank you for tuning in. Today I'll be talking about the neuroscience of sexy times. Sex is a topic that I find a little tough to start talking about because it has such a complex place in our society. Lots of people do it every day. It affects our clothes, our attitudes towards others, our advertisements. Honestly, pretty much every aspect of our lives is in some way, shape, or form touched by the idea of sex. Now, before I get into the nitty gritty, I would like to make a disclaimer that sex, sexual desire, attraction, orgasm, and all other sexually related things are unique to the individual. I plan to speak about some broad ideas in neuroscience and how they relate to sexual behavior, but they may not apply to all people because there are a multitude of diverse and complex factors at play. I also want to say that science is often guided by cultural norms, so many of the questions asked in this area of research are geared towards traditional gender roles and often don't take into account the sexual experiences of individuals who identify outside of these traditional gender roles. Honestly, just something to keep in mind while you're listening to these research studies. So let's get into it. Sexual behavior is vital for the survival of many species and there are distinct neural populations, neural circuits, and dynamic interactions guiding sexual behavior. Sexual drive and desire are thought to be primarily guided by the limbic system. The limbic system is a system of functionally interconnected cortical and subcortical structures that have a shared role in processing sensory stimuli and transforming them into emotional and behavioral outputs. It is thought to be vitally important in regulating behaviors we need for survival, such as feeding, reproduction, caring for children, and fight or flight responses. The limbic system contains many brain regions. I'll post a photo on Instagram later with their locations and connections, but for now, I'm only gonna focus on four of them. Our old friend, the amygdala, the hypothalamus, the thalamus, and my one true love, the hippocampus. The amygdala is a small structure deep in the temporal lobe, which is known to be responsible for emotional processing, such as fear and anxiety, and processing sexual behaviors in rodents and mice. In human beings, a larger amygdala has been found to be tied to increased sexual drive, and MRI studies have observed increased amygdala activity in response to viewing sexually arousing images. It is thought that the amygdala regulates the attachment of emotional significance to things and people, and applies reinforcing or discriminative properties to sensory stimuli. Fundamentally, it helps us to decide who we want to be with, and who to run away from. A larger amygdala may function better in its role in processing emotional sexual information and attaching significance to it, increasing the likelihood of a sexual response and increasing the sexual response in turn. The amygdala also has strong connections to the next region, the hypothalamus, which lies just below the thalamus, hence the name hypo meaning below, but that's neither here nor there. The hypothalamus is known to coordinate essential homeostatic mechanisms. In short, the hypothalamus is responsible for the survival of our bodies and the procreation of our species. The hypothalamus stimulates the pituitary gland via neural connections and other substances called releasing factors to release gonadotrophic hormones. These in turn target the ovary to release estrogen and progesterone in females and target the testes to release testosterone in males. 
Different levels of these hormones, estrogen and testosterone, are key in regulating sexual behavior. Higher levels of estrogen promote vaginal lubrication and sexual desire. Higher levels of testosterone also increase sexual desire. This is why you might see some individuals taking testosterone supplements to improve sex drive and sexual performance, but that might be a can of worms. Taking testosterone supplements has been linked to sleep apnea, acne, enlarged breasts, and testicular shrinkage, all highly unwanted things, as well as an increased risk of prostate cancer and heart problems. Again, disclaimer, I'm not a medical professional and none of what I say should be taken as medical advice. If you feel that you have something you need to speak about, please seek out your, your healthcare professional. But thus, the amygdala hypothalamus serves as the connection between emotion processing regions and reproductive norendocrine pathways. Endocrine just meaning hormones in this case. The hypothalamus is also thought to integrate information from sensory systems, hormonal state, and sensory input from the genitals. There have been some contradictory lesion studies on the role of the hypothalamus in sexual behavior. Some have found that lesioning or stopping function at the hypothalamus did not impair male interest in female animals, whereas others have reported deficits in mate preference and pursuit behavior. Today, it is cautiously understood that the hypothalamus facilitates sexual motivation in addition to mediating performance in males. In females, it was found that lesioning the hypothalamus disrupted approach behavior and sexual motivation, solidifying its vital role in sexual drive and execution. Our next brain region is the thalamus, a small structure that sits right above the brainstem between the cerebral cortex and the midbrain. It has extensive connections all over the brain, and its primary purpose is to relay sensory and motor signals to other parts of the brain. I found this incredibly fascinating study done at, oh God, please forgive me, I will butcher this, uh, Chungnam National University in South Korea, where they sought to investigate the underlying brain regions involved in sexual desire by looking at the brains of people diagnosed with problematic hypersexual disorder, further referred to as PHB, and compared that to control patients. Patients were placed in an MRI and showed both sexual and non-sexual stimuli, and the level of sexual desire was assessed in response. They observed that individuals with PHB experienced more frequent and enhanced sexual desire in response to sexual stimuli with greater activation observed in the caudate nucleus, the parts of the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for, for mood and emotional processing, and the thalamus. The role of the thalamus in mediating sex-related behaviors can be understood from the point of view that it is a crucial relay center and is fundamental in relaying erotic stimuli to the rest of the brain. Finally, the hippocampus. Embedded deep in the temporal lobe, uh, the hippocampus is known to have a vital role in learning, memory, spatial navigation. There's actually some really cool research uh, in bats on this topic out of UC Berkeley. But in the context of sexual behavior, the hippocampus is known to control emotional memory recall and regulation. One of my favorite findings out of Princeton University is that participating in relatively frequent sexual behavior reduced anxiety-like behaviors and, most importantly, promoted adult neurogenesis in the hippocampuses of mice. So it is traditionally understood that uh, as we grow into adulthood, our brains don't really produce new neurons. 
Everything you have is everything you will ever have. So protect that brain, y'all. However, we have observed that adult neurogenesis, or the growth of new neurons in the hippocampus of mice, sparking a flurry of excitement for the treatment of neurodegenerative diseases and general, general cognitive aging problems. But before you start getting really excited, um, there have been some contradictory findings that while the continued production of new neurons has been linked to improved learning, memory, and mood regulation, we haven't really been able to observe adult neurogenesis in human beings. But there's another episode forthcoming on this topic because adult neurogenesis has fascinating ties to sleep, different cell types, different brain waves. But for now, back to sexy times. Damage to the limbic system resulted in decreased motivation to engage in sexual behavior while leaving the ability to do so intact suggesting that the limbic system and the above-mentioned brain regions are primarily responsible for sexual motivation for survival of the species. It's also important to remember that sex is incredibly rewarding. There's a reason we want to do it again and again and again. So the brain's reward systems are also at play during sexual behavior. Known as the mesocorticolimbic circuit, the reward system is a group of neural structures responsible for mediating things that bring us pleasure to do. Whether it's eating your favorite meal, taking care of your dog, or having sex, in this circuit, uh, the cells primarily act via the neurotransmitter dopamine. One of the reasons that the reward system was tied to sexual-seeking behavior was the observation that dopamine therapy for Parkinson's disease could result in excessive impulsive behaviors, including hypersexuality. Based on these results, some researchers from Leiden University in the Netherlands sought to investigate the modulatory effects of dopamine on the processing of subconsciously perceived sexual stimuli. They observed that dopamine stimulates activity in key brain areas of the reward system and certainly acts as a key player in reward-guided behavior in sexual situations. In short summary, sex makes you feel good via this pathway, and that's super cool. But it's not just the physical act of sex that feels good. Bonding to your partner can be another important aspect of the sexual experience, and a key regulator of that feeling is the love hormone oxytocin. Produced by the hypothalamus, oxytocin can be released via cuddling, skin contact, nipple stimulation, orgasm, and a lot of other aspects of sexual intimacy. Quick side note, oxytocin is also released in huge amounts during labor, and I believe breastfeeding, which may facilitate bonding with a newborn. Some of the first studies into the role of oxytocin were actually being done in prairie voles, a species of vole that is just one of 3% of all species that form monogamous relationships. They mate for over 24 hours and are subsequently bonded for life. Prairie voles are effectively that old, happy, married couple. They spend time with each other, they groom each other, and they nest with each other for the rest of their lives kind of adorable if you think about it. Thus, when, uh, when prairie voles mated, they released oxytocin and vasopressin. If, they, if researchers blocked the release of these hormones, they, prairie voles did not mate for life and instead had little prairie vole one-night stands. However, if given oxytocin but prevented from mating, prairie voles still sought out and formed a preference for their chosen partner. So 
what kind of conclusions can we draw from this result? Does that mean that oxytocin makes you fall in love? Does it make you bond to your, sexu- uh, to your sexual partner? If you're interested in more research in this vein, check out Professor Devanan Manoli over at UCSF. It's a super cool lab. But I think the short answer is that it is definitely possible. Oxytocin may help to form partner bonds in some species, including us, via interactions with the brain's dopamine reward systems. It may increase a partner's receptiveness of gratitude, which has been shown to foster relationship growth. This kind of increase in partner bond is likely there to ensure the safety of you, your children, your partner, and your tribe as a whole. Research in this area is woefully sparse. I think that given the touchiness of sex as a topic, funding is hard to come by and questions are often difficult to ask or are of little importance. Hopefully with time, we see more research in this absolutely fascinating area of science, but I guess we'll, we'll find out. But that is a bite-sized overview of the neuroscience of sexual intercourse. I hope that you enjoyed the episode and you learned something new. I've cited all of my relevant sources and papers in the show notes, and you should keep out, uh, you should keep an eye out on Instagram for some cool figures that I think are pertinent. Please rate and review, and if you have any questions, comments, concerns, queries, or complaints, please email me at neurosciencemateurhour at gmail.com or DM me at neurosciencemateurhour on Instagram. This podcast is available on pretty much any platform I can think of, so please recommend it to your friends and your loved ones. Also, if you have something you really want to learn about, please contact me and you'll probably see an episode about it soon. Happy researching, and I hope to see you again. Bye.